everybody. Uh, this is Fig and Lock Coast to Coast. I'm Mr. Fig. And I'm Mr. Lock. We are back after uh, two weeks. We took uh, took some time off last week. I was on business travel, heading out to the um, beautiful island of Guam uh, for work. So uh, that I was in the, on a plane during our normal podcast time. So uh, and, and flying to Guam is always fun just because you get a day back. Or, I'm sorry, you get to fast forward a day. You get to time travel a little bit because you cross the international date line. So going out there, you move forward a day, and then coming back, you always regain a day. So that's always fun. But how you doing, Mr. Locke? How's things going on in your world? Doing good, man. Doing good. You know, staying busy. Uh, weather's been very helpful. Skelter here on the East Coast. Some days it's cold. Some days it's hot. Um, <clears throat> just I've been staying busy with work and with my family whatnot so uh nothing uh too crazy to report on my side of the world on my end here gotcha yeah i always I, I don't that's the one thing i don't miss about the east coast is how bipolar it is when it comes to weather um uh, you know i was talking to my mom today and she was telling me that like it was in the, it's in the 60s today it was in the 70s one day it's gonna be in the 40s the next like yeah that this is that transitory weather zone I, I don't miss not knowing what the weather's gonna be day in day out yeah, it's uh, yeah. You just get all your seasons, all one week. Definitely, I think this weekend's supposed to be coming up. It's supposed to be kind of cold, so it's you know just can't put away the jackets yet. Got to keep the hoodies out. Uh, be wearing shorts one day, wearing long sleeve jackets next day. It's really windy last Saturday, so yeah, yeah. You know, I've been watching a little bit of the NFL. I've been keeping up with the NFL Combine. Because you have the happening this week, quarterbacks and uh, wide receivers were the first initial days. Now you got running backs and um, offensive linemen doing stuff this like today and tomorrow. So that's always interesting, just seeing how the measurables and all these college students, they're just freak athletes, jumping really high, running really fast, throwing the ball super deep. Like everybody can throw a deep ball now. Just everybody can. So it's it's crazy. That's not, that, that, that's that, uh, 2022-2023 diet right there. Just yes, uh, chock full of vitamins and minerals. Everyone uh you know, everyone is now born and bred with a uh, to f- throw the ball from touched end zone to end zone these these days. We were, we were actually talking about this during the Super Bowl too like just the fact that, you know, between the field, I mean the um the kickoff distance and the passing distance you know, does the NFL need to try to like change the field length? You know, remember like remember like in back, like in early was the early two thousands, like NBA had to change the the three point line or the free throw line because every athlete at this point could hit the free throw no problem. So they moved it back. I forget how many feet or whatever. But we were talking about like could could the should the could or should the NFL do that? But then you know, just thinking through it like. Imagine the number of like stadiums that would have to get retrofitted because of the, the additional like yardage that would get tagged on to the field or into the end uh, onto the end zone. But because it seemed like it's just every kickoff was like an automatic touch like touchback, just because they, they all landed like mid to back end of the end zone at that point. Yeah, the kickoffs was different because they want to avoid injury. So all their changes, anytime they get changes for injury and kickoffs. Are one of the things that you see a lot of touchbacks now because they did move up the kicking the the point where the kicker would kick the ball off from. It used to be farther back, 
And so you'd run a higher, higher risk of these players running full steam ahead at each other, getting head on a collision, stuff like that. So you do get a lot more touchbacks. You get a lot of inputs. You have stronger kickers. Kickers are making 50-yard field goals, 55 right, yard, exactly. f- yeah. yard field goals now. And it's like, wow. Before, that was like rare. And now it's, uh, you know, I think the record is like 57, 58-yard well, I mean, field it does, goal. It does, I mean, it does change the nature of the game, right? I feel like it used to be... Like getting like getting into field goal position just wasn't enough to win a game. I feel like nowadays so much of the game is like just gotta get into field goal position. If we can get into field goal position, and they show that they'll have like a lot that that imaginary line that shows you based on his average kicking distance, like where they gotta get to in order to make that field goal. And then it just seems like these days because of the kickers are so much stronger, so much of it is just gotta get in field goal range. We can win this game and. I don't know. I, I feel like it's ch- it changes the, the dynamics of the game a little bit, but I don't know. I mean, uh, you have a point. It definitely changes the dynamics. It makes kickers are important. You know, you have to have a good kicker. That's why I like Justin Tucker of the Baltimore Ravens is like the kicking god right now. He could kick from anywhere. He's been doing it for more than a decade. I mean, he's automatic too, so he's worth every penny. And kickers don't get paid a lot either. That's the thing about it. So That's these, true. These kickers. Yeah. These kickers who, you know, they're usually, it could be a revolving door of kickers on some team. Sometimes a kicker down team for two years and leaves, join another team, gets a nice little $2 million deal, which in football terms, NFL football terms, is not a lot of money, but they're a revolving door and they're, they're, they're setting this, they're putting a lot of pressure on these men to win a game off their leg and hopefully they'll get, place and kick it perfectly every time and if you miss enough field goals you get out of the league quickly which is they are oh not, yeah they are they don't waste any time kicking players out of the league kickers out of the league which is funny but usually around training camp they bring like two or three kickers on a team and teams usually keep two so you have one and then you have the backup and then you have a punter so so it's just interesting kicking is definitely uh it's definitely an art to it and there's a craft to it and Having a quality kicker who can kick touchbacks and kick at 50-yard field goals with accuracy is it. I'm oh, a yeah. Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. And uh, Ryan Suckup, who is uh, the current kicker on the team, I have to use the word current right now because he's more likely going to get cut and we're going to find a new kicker next year. And he's been on the Chiefs forever. But then he's automatic 40 yards or closer. But like that 45-yard field goal, he misses. Oh, 44, wow. 47, and it's like the GM made a comment on it. He's really good within 35 yards to it, whatever, but beyond, we would like our kicker to kick farther than that. So it's like, yeah. it, it sucks, but, I mean, it's, it's business too. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, that 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 length of range. I mean, like, uh, it, it definitely preserves how much of, how much time you need your offense on the field, you know. I mean, if you can, if you're averaging a 52-yard, you know, field goal consistently. I mean, that's a huge weapon to have because you. I mean, you, you know, getting from like, assuming you know you're recovering from a touchback or some some sort or a, pen, a punt return, so you're you're probably in and around the 20 yard line, plus or minus five maybe. Um, so you know, if you can, I would say within a, like within two like, may, I mean, potentially even inside of four downs, you can get down to that 52 within 52 yards and make that and make that kick. You know, depending on how good your offense is. So, I mean, having that long range ca- capability, no doubt, is clinches like is a clincher. 
I mean, you're definitely going to be. It's going to definitely going to be. You're definitely going to be a hard team to beat if it only takes you four to eight downs to get within field goal range and put some points on the board. Yeah, yeah, very true. Very true. Uh, yeah, the only other NFL news I've been following is just uh, the 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 Snyder news uh, related to what you know the the commissioner is trying to vote him out, given the conditions he's trying to put on the sale of the wash of the Washington Commanders. You know, trying to absolve himself of some of his um the, the legal al- um allegations that are against him, I, I thought that was interesting. I didn't know that was something that was even possible that for commissioners can actually vote you out if you don't like you know, um. So I thought I, that I find that interesting. I, I know m- many Washington fans are hoping that he's gone one way or the other, whether he sells the team outright or if the commissioner or the other commissioners vote him out, or excuse me, other owners vote him out. Um, cause he, you know, he's never been well liked or well received, uh, not since he took, you know, took over the team in the early two thousands. So, you know, I think that that's one, that's one piece of news. I continue to, to watch with great eagerness. Yeah, the really, uh, I guess, I don't know if it's for a fact, but I guess in uniformly in all leagues, there is the ability to do that. And the NBA, they did that with, uh, Donald Sterling the Clippers owner when he um, used some racial slurs about his players and other people, whatever in the NBA when it got leaked out and then it, uh, uh, the owners voted him out. So now like the part of uh, Steve Ballmer owns him now. <laughs> Steve, Steve Ballmer slid in and bought that money. So I mean, it, it, it's possible. I just, uh, with the commanders, it definitely is interesting because I know they got uh He's got Eric Bieniemy from the Kansas City Chiefs, their offensive coordinator. So now he's going to be there, and it's it's almost it feels like it's almost a damn you do, damn you don't, because he just took this. He's leaving Hall of Fame quarterback. They go co- the coach who at quarterback who? Yeah, who? we just we just released Carson Wentz, so which you is know. y'all needed to do. Yeah. Oh no, hands down. And now it remains. You know, is it going to be? You know, is Heineke going to be our guy? You know, I mean, that still remains to be seen. Are they going to bring in someone new? Are they going to draft someone? It's you know, it's it, we go through this every year, man. Like, um, this is why I believe our team is so far behind in making any real progress um, in the during the season because we continue to get caught up in this churn of of you know moving managers and general managers and coaches and getting rid of quarterbacks it's it's bizarre like it's totally bizarre it's so bizarre when it comes to Washington Washington is definitely a tough spot because they had Carson Wentz they had Taylor Heineke as a backup he had Howell the rookie on to learn as more a project see what you get out of him and now you're kind of forcing him to play maybe uh Taylor if if you are going to pay Taylor like y'all should Taylor's going to walk so then you're gonna bring in all new person, but I mean, you guys have the making of a fun team that can make some real noise because you got River Riverboat Ron, so he's always gonna push out a good defense. That's what he's known for. It's what he's gonna get with Ron, right? So that's guaranteed. But then your offense pieces are really nice. Scary Terry Dotson. You got a nice little. Um, you got that uh, tight end for Virginia Tech. He used to be quarterback. I forgot his name. I think his name's Thomas. Um, you got a nice little running back core. Your offensive line isn't bad. So, I mean, there's a lot of good pieces. Just the quarterback play was kind of an issue last year. And especially with Carson Wentz. And then when you guys had a chance to make the playoffs, oh, let's start Wentz. I get it. 
I get it. That's a ownership decision. I don't think that's a coach decision. I want to trust that Riverboat Ron did not say, I'm going to start Wentz over our, the the pride of Virginia, Taylor Heineke. You know, I, mean? I, I would, I just well, I would agree with that. I mean, that's, that's, that's been a problem, you know, every, you know, every year is that Snyder or can't stay out of the decision-making if it is Snyder or maybe it's the general manager, not sure which, but it's the same thing when we, with RG3. Like, um, you know, they forced, even though he had an injury, he had a major injury, they continued to force him to play. And we broke the guy in the first, in, the, in his first season uh, in, 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 in the NFL. Um, yeah, we can't get, we, we're our own worst enemy when it comes to quarterbacks. Um, you know, Kirk Cousins, you know, I mean, is he, and, and the most amazing quarterback? Not he's not, but he does put up pretty good numbers. And like he did take, he's taken Minnesota what to two playoffs now, I think, uh, yeah. since he's been with them. So like, you know, here's a guy we you know we, that is a fairly decent quarterback, and we just couldn't get behind him. Um, so here we are. You know, again, you know, trying to figure out our quarterback situation, which, you know. Um, I just I, I don't I just wanted to pick someone and stick with him. Like he doesn't have to be the best quarterback in the world. Like pick somebody, train them, like mentor them, coach them, and like stick with them. Give them you know two or three seasons before you get rid of them. But we just can't seem to raise a quarterback to save our lives. Uh, they're gonna have to figure it out because I don't think Riverboat is going to survive another bad year. That's something I do not know. It's like you have to be competitive. You can't go last place out of division. You know, with the, the Cowboys are pretty good. The Giants look like they're in upward swing. Um, you know, the Eagles are just at Super Bowl. So it's like you you can't be the last place team back-to-back years and then you're like, I'm going to keep my head coaching job. No, it doesn't spell well. And like I said, that this sucks for Eric Bieniemy because he has to pull off a miracle job now. It's like I don't – I just – Dude, you should have just stayed in Kansas City. Like, why are you just going to be like, oh, I'm going to go to Washington? And I get it. I get it. It's the idea that he's had 17 head coaching interview jobs. And he's got none. And there is a, uh, I don't want to dig up the whole um, the whole story behind the idea that, you know, uh, you hear about black quarter, um, black coordinators tend to struggle. Um, coordinators of color, if you will, they tend to struggle getting head coaching jobs because owners are the one that hires head coaches and owners are sometimes old white men. A lot of time, matter of fact, they all are, most of them are, except two teams, all old white men. And they don't want to see, they want to be with somebody they can relate to, somebody they feel comfortable with. And it's harder for that to really happen that way, having a fair coaching opportunity. So for this guy to be interviewed 17 times, he's a two, two, two-time Super Bowl offensive coordinator, but they'll always say Andy Reid's the guy that ran the offense. But underneath Andy Reid's coaching tree at Kansas City, five other coaches have had head coaching jobs except him. So it's it's if he goes to Washington and he just flames out, then it's like, all right, we understand then. We just understand. And we understand we, all right, he should never got the head coaching job. It all makes sense. But I wish him the best. I hope that he goes there and lights it up. You know, I'm rooting for the commanders to do really well. You know, um, they're a scrappy team. I like the I like the players on the team. There's not really a player on those commanders teams I don't like this year. You know, I mean, there's other 
commander slash skin teams, but players on there I just did not like. But this year, I like all the players. So I wish them the best, and I want to see them beat the Eagles and the Cowboys. It's, it'll be a nice story. Yep. Well, as a fan, I can definitely agree with that. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> we'll see what happens, man. You know. Also, um, this week you had the uh, the Murdoch. Am I saying his name right? Murdoch? 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 The trial? Had that trial there? Yeah, the uh, so I was looking at I was looking that up because I am completely unfamiliar with just about any of this. Uh, I haven't tracked any of it, and it's been in the news all week. Um, and I saw that he was found guilty, but so my understanding is that he shot his son and wife. Is that is that right? Correct. This is a wild story, so I might get some of it wrong because my memory sucks. But uh, side note: the Murdoff family. His family, who he's part of, is a big-time family in South Carolina. Apparently, his there's actually a, a, a documentary on Hulu that's really good. I recommend watching. And it traces back his family tree back to 100 years ago. And they've been lawyers and district attorneys for that small town forever. So they've, like, they've had old money, and they've, they're a big deal. They know who this person is. And this guy shot his wife, shot his son at his, like, stables of his house. And he said that he didn't. Um, he said he didn't. And there's a lot of problems there because he's like, I got, I was abuse, I was abusing opiates. And I was under the influence. And it made me, it made me paranoid. And it did this and did that. But I did not kill my family. You know, and um, watching a lot of court TV and watching people talk about it, people say like, well, it, it, what's always a telltale sign is that when a guy could tell you, he could tell you what he did five o'clock in the afternoon, he could tell you down the detail what he watched on television to how his food tasted, and he could tell you after the events, whatever happened, he could tell you what was happening around him and all the colors and everything. But that little window, when that, that situation was happening, he's like, I cannot recall. I don't know what happened there. And it's like, dude, what? And this whole trial, they brought the jurors down to the place where the shooting happened. They had, he actually did a testimony up there. They were, they were cross-examinating him. And that's a rarity as well. But he's a lawyer himself, so he's kind of like, he knows what to say and what kind of not to say. But it's still suspect. Like, you could tell his man's on some kind of influence, or he's been on some type of influence, because it's, it's rough. He's very rough on the trial itself, because he's... He's talking and he's admitting to lying to the police officers. He's admitting to lying to other people. You're like, oh my gosh. This dude's, it's just, it's very compelling hearing this stuff. And I, I didn't watch it like per everything else. I always watch on the recap because I'm at work. But hearing this stuff's like, yo, this guy lied to the cops every single time. And now he's on the stands. Oh, I'm telling the truth now. It's too late now, man. You can't, that's the boy who cried wolf. You can't keep lying. Here and then I'll expect us to believe you now that you're not allowed to oath to make sure that you don't serve at least thirty jails, thirty years in jail per murder. You know, what I mean, there's there's no way. And he's like, I would never murder my son and blah blah blah. But then, then they're saying that poss there's a chance that there could maybe be another shooter, possibly the way the way it's coming along. There's because you know reasonable doubts all you need. But the jury was like, no, guilty. They said three hours. They delivered it for three hours. And gave him a guilty plea. I think this Monday or Tuesday, 
he's supposed to actually get uh, the sentencing. So I was just I was just kind of perusing the headlines and perusing some of the stories about it. Well, I didn't realize it like. So there's the murder itself, but he's been in and out of court for quite some time now because it sounds like he also embezzled millions of dollars as while, yep. while he was practicing law. I just saw that, and then it looks like he his was also, son had it. He was also charged in the, in faking his own attempted murder. I guess there was a he got shot in the head at one point for changing a tire, and then they it turns out they they think he arranged his own like arranged the shooting of himself at one point. Like this is really this talk about bizarre like. Yeah. He also helped get his son. His son killed somebody um, in a boating accident, and he got his son off the charges on it. Really? Yes. It's absolutely the son he killed. So it's it's uh it's definitely wild to think that this legendary I'm gonna say legendary in quotation marks because they're they're just a big time family in that small borough, South Carolina. Uh, this that's the way this family tree's ending. Well, it's funny, it's like, ending like this. You, you see movies about this kind of thing, right? Like the the, the rich, white, privileged family in the South that can get, it gets away with just about everything, you know? And, um, you know, but when when you're this weird where you're faking your own death, embezzling, embezzling money, you know, taking opioids, like, you know, that, there's, that's, that's an awful lot for your for your family to try to cover up. <laughs> that's an yeah, awful lot very for very much. That's a lot of people to buy out and to influ- have to influence in order to protect protect that. Absolutely, and it, it's just it's definitely wild um, that's going to go down like that. Um, you know, it's 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 sad, sad for his family. Had this man is a tortured man, and that's how this story ends. So it's definitely gruesome, gruesome, definitely gruesome. I mean, you you saw that uh, what was the fad between uh, the AI generated photos? People were doing that. Oh yeah, I saw that. Yep, and also there's People the AI Facebook generated Instagram doing it. Yeah, the AI generated movie scripts too. That's another popular one. I've seen that online too. Um, side note: one cool thing I saw on a movie scripts thing. I saw um, this past week. I saw like uh, this Twitter thread. Of people talking about roles they ca- they they didn't get casted for, but they tried out for, and I know the guy who uh, on Batman Begins who played um, the Scarecrow from Peaky Blinders. Oh, Killian Murphy. Yeah, he actually tried to be Batman, and you actually see like you see they actually have video of him like in the bat suit, and uh, him actually saying lines as Bruce Wayne, and it's like it look it's it looks weird. Because it's some alternate universe, he is Batman. It's some alternate universe, but it's like you're in this universe. He never was Batman, but he's like creepy because he's like it's creepy because he has a sharp chin. His chin's really sharp. Well, I'm a firm believer that things are meant to happen for a reason, and it's weird, you know, how Hollywood casting knows when they have the right person when they don't have the right person. And like, I think a great a great example of that is like Back to the Future, right? They they knew that they wanted Michael J. Fox for that role, and I would I would even argue that that script was probably written almost for him. But when they couldn't get him, they went to Eric Stoltz, and Eric Stoltz was playing played the role for I think they filmed almost the entire movie with him actually. And then Robert Zemeckis yep. was like, "Nope, this is not the guy. Like this is not who. Like this is not working. This is all we wanted." They went back, so they worked it out with Michael J. Fox and his management team, and they went back and reshot the whole thing. 
I mean, credit to Michael J. Fox because he was filming Family Ties like during the day and then filming Back to the Future at night. Like he was like going between the two sets, like knocking this thing out. And you get this masterpiece of a film, right? Like, um, so I feel like, you know, how, like, I, I feel like casting directors are like, you know, good ones are worth their weight in gold because, like, I like uh, I can't imagine anyone else playing Forrest Gump for that for you know for example. Um, and then you mentioned you know you know Batman begin like the Batman series. I mean, you know uh, I know the um, Christian Bale's voice as Batman is always comical, but you know his performance writ large is really good. I don't can't imagine anyone else fulfilling fulfilling those shoes. Um, but then also I would argue casting directors can get it also can also, can also get it wrong from time to time. Uh, you know, a good example being Jared Leto as a Joker. You know, what I mean, um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, <laughs> I know you're. I know you like it. I, but I, you know, I, I think I just think that he as an individual took that role in a direction. I think that it, it, I don't know if that's his fault or if that's the writer's fault. But I mean, anyway, the point is, a good casting director really can make or break a film because you know, if if you don't get the right guy or gal to fulfill that role, you know, then your movie is gonna be garbage. Absolutely, though. It, yeah, I, I remember reading, I saw a Twitter thread about the original, uh, about Pulp Fiction, and it was doing the casting, like, he had a list of further roles of every, I, my first pick, second pick, third pick, fourth pick, fifth pick, so he had a fifth pick for every single role, and like, um, uh, what's his name, um, not Samuel Jackson's character, but, um, the other guy, uh, man, dog. John Travolta. Um, yeah, John Travolta wasn't first pick. It was somebody else. John Travolta was second option, but then he got first option. Everybody else he wanted. He wanted Big Rames. He wanted Sam Jackson for this role. But then he also had like, if that person wanted to do it, Sam Jackson could be possibly be this person, or like the, he knew these actors. He wanted to work with these actors, but how the films we put together, you know, he's like, I want Bunny to be this person. I want, uh, I want, you know, this guy to be this person. I need this person. So I was like, it, it's interesting about the director and the cat director was able to make that work and make it happen. Cause I, you can't picture some roles, um, uh, like that. Cause even if I do, I, I snub Will Smith for turning down the matrix. I don't know how that would even work out. I don't even understand how he would have been Neo. Like yeah. it would just been really weird for him being Neo. Cause he's, because to be Neil, you kind of you can't have that much personality. I mean, not to put down Keanu, you know. I mean, Keanu did a great job, but you know, Keanu played that role perfectly. Of like, I'm just I'm a nobody. I am a nobody. Look at me. I, I I'm a walking NPC in my life. You know, what I mean, you you would I could walk past you and never look twice at me in the beginning of the film, and then what he turned into later, you're like, okay. So Will Smith could have been that, like, oh, you don't, you can't even see me, like, dude, we see you, man. You're like six foot four, like, we talking six three, light skin black dude. We see you, dog. It would have been weird. I, I don't know what the Wachowski brothers were thinking originally having him, but um, it's interesting. Yeah, I think another another one I think is really weird. Another casting decision that I thought was really weird is um, the role of uh, you know Nicholas Cage as Superman. And Tim Burton's, you know, Superman, which never got made. Which, if you ever get a chance, there's a great um, documentary film that uh, I forget the name of it right now, but it talks about 
like what happened to Tim Burton Superman. Um, and you know, no matter how often I see the pictures of 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 um, what's his name right now, I'm, it's all of a sudden just went blank on me real quick. Uh, Nicholas Cage. Uh, every time I see a picture of Nicholas Cage in the Superman outfit, I just don't see it. Like no matter how, like it, I just I, I listen, I hear I, I hear his voice in my head, and it doesn't resonate Superman for me. So that I feel like that you know the fact that, that movie was never made is probably a good decision because I can't imagine that like people walking away from that film thinking this was a great choice. I've read the script, oh, well, at least I've read the Kevin Smith version of the script, which actually is pretty engaging. But just the I just can't see Nicholas Cage delivering a convincing Superman. Um, and it was interesting that the look they went with too, because they, they were looking at like in the comics in that particular moment in time, like Superman had a little bit of a mullet. So they wanted Nicolas Cage to have longer hair, which again, you look at those pictures and you're just like, I don't like whose idea is this? And why, like Con how did this even happen? Superman. Yeah. And then um, that's, another, that's good, like. another interesting example of like, you know, cat, um, you know, casting that should or should not have been, I was, Another one is Matthew Modine. Apparently, Matthew Modine was considered for the role of Maverick in Top Gun, and again, it's one of those. He's one of those actors that I don't think he would have been nearly as good or nearly as electrifying as Tom Cruise. Just in the Matthew Modine performances that I've seen, and of course, the most recent one that sticks out is obviously Stranger Things. He's never struck me as like a. He's always kind of plays a more subdued, more like. Um, He's just not. He's not big. Like his roles aren't big. You know, like Maverick need to be big. He need to be flint. Like need to be like you know, energetic and just like larger than life. And it's one of those situations where I think, even though Matthew Matthew Modine was considered first for the role, it's one of those situations where, thank God he didn't take it because I think Tom Cruise did a much better did 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 obviously do a much better job. I think. Matthew Bodine gives off the look of an officer, though. He looks like he'd be an officer, though. So that's the only reason why I could maybe see why they said, well, he could play Maverick. He could have put, he could have been Goose. Maybe. Goose or actually, he might have, he could have been, he could have been a decent Iceman as well, I think. I mean, I think Val Kilmer is great in that role, but I think he yeah. probably could have played a good Iceman as well. He's just very, he's just, like, his, his physique is very rigid. And I think that was what makes, and so is Val Kilmer and Iceman is all about like the, the rigid execution of like the procedures. Like that's why he, like he's cold, like he flies cold cause he flies, you know, per the procedures where Maverick is kind of willing to push the limits, you know, you know, uh, outside of what is uh, expected. But I yeah, like, I pulled up this thing. So I pulled up this list, right? Um, this is a list from the independent, back in um actually about last october and they did 13 actors that turned down roles okay um mm -hmm. so you got one denzel washington and seven yeah again i can't see that one as the younger were they going to cast him as the younger detective or was he going to be the morgan freeman role he would have played the veteran detective oh man like i i i mean i can see it to a degree but i still think um, Morgan Freeman killed that role, in my opinion. Like, yeah, um, yeah, it, I, I don't think it would have worked. That would yeah. have been Morgan Freeman played it perfectly. He Denzel Washington wasn't old enough then. Exactly, I feel like Denzel Washington would have been great. Could have been a great job as like 
the Brad Pitt role because he's still relatively young. He can be like and he he can be like the plucky, rageful like detective. But I think Morgan Freeman, just his general demeanor, was like absolutely perfect for that. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio and Boogie Nights. Oh wow, that would have been interesting. <laughs> like that's Mark Wahlberg star role. Hmm. I don't know, man. Mark Wahlberg, I, I think Leo would have probably did a good job, but I think Mark Wahlberg did a good job. So I can't. He did a really good job in that film. I like that movie a lot. Well, it's funny, like okay, was great. Just it's you know it's hilarious to me, and just thinking about the two of them. If you look at like looking at Leonardo DiCaprio and looking at Don at Donnie Wahlberg, if you if or Mark Wahlberg, excuse me, if you if you like not knowing what they had done or who they were, if you said which one of these guys was a porn star, I would say Mark Wahlberg. Like, because yeah. Leo just doesn't give off the porn star doesn't give the, doesn't give off exactly a porn star vibe. All right, okay. Madonna in the Matrix. As who? As uh, uh, Trinity? Yes. Madonna's never had what, no regrets. So I, like, I turned down the role in the Matrix, she said on Jimmy Fallon on TV appearances here. Yeah. Very, um, she would have played um, Carrie Ann Moss's character. Yeah, Trinity. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about that one. I've never, I mean, of the things I've seen Madonna in, um, League of Their Own. She, she probably could have done, I mean, she got an Academy Award, didn't she, for Evita? Evita, yeah, for Evita. She was great in Dick Tracy, which we talked about oh, on the yeah. podcast. You know, she and was I could fantastic see it. in it. I could see it. I mean, when, like, because, when you know, I mean, you dye her hair black. You know, I mean, uh, what's that video that she did uh, for with honors for I remember? Like she had her hair dyed black in that video, and I mean, she's always had a slender physique, and she's no stranger when it comes to leather. So I can totally see her fulfilling playing that role. You know, um, also rumored to turn down roles as Catwoman and Batman Returns. Um. And uh, the movie Showgirls. <laughs> oh, you know, I, Batman I, Returns. Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer did an awesome job. So I, I wouldn't want to see any other lady. And that you learn after the fact that she learned how to play. Michelle Pfeiffer learned how to play. Use the bull whip to do the scene in real life herself. I mean, tip my hat to Michelle Pfeiffer over here. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer is still one of the is still the you know a premier Catwoman outside of like Eartha Kitt and um. Was the other chick that played in the '60s? But I can see Madonna playing Catwoman too. To be honest with you, like '90s Michelle Pfeiffer, I mean, excuse me, Madonna could easily. Have, I mean, just based on her performance of Breathless Mahoney, she could she could easily have played Catwoman. I think. But okay. I also think that would have been two of the that would have been. I think that would have been typecasting at that point because her character as Breathless Mahoney would essentially have been the same thing as the Catwoman in Batman Returns. Okay, how about? Um, Brad Pitt actually turned down the Matrix as well. I think that's a good move. He turned it down, and, and I, it's kind of interesting because I can see why they chose him because he was at around the same time Fight Club came out. Yeah, so you got him looking grungy, probably in fit. He was fit looking, so all right, but it would have probably took him some learn time to learn some kung fu, and he was not trying to do that. I don't not for me. It's not even necessarily the physicality. It's just the whole idea of Neo. Is he's like the goth hacker type, right? Like the guy that sits in the basement on his computer all the time, and 
uh, I don't. I mean, Brad Pitt just doesn't give off that vibe, right? Like he's just not the guy who is hanging out in the background, you know, uh, on his computer all day. So I think that was a smart move. Um, Matt Damon turned down the leading role in James Cameron's Avatar. Yeah, I agree with that too. I think so much of that movie benefits from. <laughs> Well, and not even that. It's not even that Matt Damon is a bad actor. I love him in the Bourne series, as as far as action goes. I mean, Bourne series is amazing, but I think Avatar benefits from the fact that it is a lot of like, at least at the time, like not necessarily well knowns, right? Like Zoe Saldana was just coming on the scene still. Um, Sam Worthington was still kind of just coming on the scene. I mean, he had some stuff in his back pocket, like you know, Clash of the Titans and whatnot. But even he was still coming on the scene. Um, you're the only real big name in that whole film is Sigourney Weaver, and even then, like she wasn't. It was like she hadn't done a ton of stuff compared to what she had done previously in like the in like the eighties and the nineties. So I, I feel like that movie benefits from the fact that the star power behind it is is a little dimmer compared to like, you know, um, you know, a lot of big blockbuster films. Um, fun fact also with this, with him turning it down, he also turned down the idea that the proposal of him pocketing 10 cents of, of the film's gross. That's crazy. And the film was the highest grossing film in history, meaning he lost out on an estimated 200 and million 200 million dollars but to be fair i don't know if the movie would have i don't know i'm not so sure the movie would have been had it would have been as good but maybe i'm wrong people was people was people going there to see sam worthington no i guess that's true you know and i realized when i I was watching that uh, it was on tv not long ago and i was watching it because the it's the movie is essentially and 100% you know computer generated it doesn't necessarily hold up great over time mm. cuz when you watch it it's kind of like looking it's kind of like, like when we when it came out in what 2012 2013 like when when it, when it came out it was obviously the most impressive visual effects you've ever seen but now when you watch it it's kind of like it's like it's like playing a game on PlayStation 4 so mm-hmm. like you're like the you know visual graphics have come so far. It's kind of like it's like also it's like watching like Toy Story. Like when you watch the first Toy Story, you really realize how infantile you know computer effects were at the time compared to like Toy Story Five. So it's like I think that's kind of the danger of like being so heavy on visual effects. Like just watching it, it took, kind of took me out of it to a degree because I feel like I was watching a video game. It didn't feel like I was watching a movie anymore. Now I have not yeah, seen the recent. I mean, I've not seen the most recent iteration, so I'm assuming that the visual effects in that are amazing. But yeah, I mean, I think it's all films because we see movies back. I guess it just it comes down to the acting, and I guess with the computer generated um, act, you hear the voice work, but you don't see the computer animated. You see the computer animated stuff, but you hear the voice work, and it doesn't hit home. Like if I watch Chinatown, mm-hmm. you know, is made in the '70s, but it's a classic. Well, that's what I'm saying. Uh, like, I watched Forrest Gump in the '90s, and it's a classic. It holds well, up. That's why I think, like, the reason why I think practical effects made their way back is because, like, practical effects hold up. Like, for example, if you watch Aliens today versus when it was released in like the mid '80s, 
it still looks amazing because everything about that is like it's like it's practical, you know. Whereas like because visual effects have gotten better over time because of computing power and everything else, like you look at like the Phantom Menace, and you, you like you like the the visual effects in that movie are just garbage compared to what we have today. I mean, granted, it was a stepping stone, obviously. Some and things have to start everywhere, but when I think when you I think what makes dra- the difference between like say Jurassic Park and the Phantom Menace or or Avatar for that matter is because it combined practical effects with visual effects. When I watched Jurassic Park, which came out in 1992, 93, it's yeah. still like it, visually it still really holds up because like in those the only time they use computer effects are in those brief moments where they need to have the dinosaur like the whole thing on screen whereas you know, everywhere else in that movie, they used practical effects. And I think that's why the right. like the new Star Wars films. You know, you can argue the plots aren't that great, but the vis- visually they look cool because like they combine practical and and computer generated effects. Argue the plots? No, um, but uh, <laughs> that's a, that's a whole other podcast. Um, as we continue on, uh, Christina Applegate and Legally Blonde. Oh yeah, playing the lead role. You know, uh, yeah. I I watched Legally Blonde once. Yeah, I've seen. I can't really comment a whole heck. I've seen. I've seen. Only seen it one time as well. You know, what I mean, I it's... think. I mean, that's not exactly like a performance that's going to get to the Academy Awards. So I think either or, I think would have been fine. So, in fairness to Legally Blonde, it is a cult classic, um, and it did spin off a a second a sequel. So you know, um, good job, uh, Michael Keaton in Groundhog Day. Yeah, I think Bill Murray makes that film. So, uh, really makes Groundhog Day work. I like Michael Keaton, and I, I think his work. I mean, obviously he's got comedic chops, right? Like Beetlejuice, uh, Mr. Mom, you know. So I mean, he's got the comedic chops. But I think that Bill Murray makes that movie. What's unfortunate though is that because Bill Murray's in that movie, behind the scenes, it creates a rift between him and Harold Ramis that would not be repairable until Harold dies, which is the reason why you don't get any further sequels in Ghostbusters until. You know, the, you know the yeah. two twenty, the twenty twenty one release. So you know, so much of that. You know, so even though I think Bill Murray's performance in that film is essential, unfortunately, the behind the scenes work that was happening between or rift that is caused by it, you know, delay like it, it causes issues on other projects down the road. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, how about this, Josh Harnett and Batman Begins? As who, Batman? I've seen right here. Uh, yes, I've never thought Josh Harnett was that great of an actor to begin with. I mean, let's think of the. He's only ever really. I mean, what other movie has he really been like the lead in? Like, I can think of forty. Was it Forty Days and Forty Nights? Yep. Um, he was a co-star to Ben Affleck in Pearl Harbor. He was a Hollywood homicide with uh, is was a Hollywood he the Hollywood homicide or something like that. He was the co-lead with uh, Harrison Ford. Or Harrison Ford, and then he was like a supporting, a really small supporting role in like Sin City. But like, he's good in Sin, uh, not Sin City. You know, you say Sin City. Uh, uh, What's it called? It's a Showtime show. Penny Dreadful. He's in that. Um, all the seasons he plays a Amer- He plays an American, who is a spo- uh, spoiler alert. He's the he's a werewolf. But um. But does he carry the show by himself? Because I feel like uh, no, he does not. That's what I'm saying. I don't know. <laughs> that's probably not. why he didn't get cast. I can't really see him carrying that 
franchise on his shoulders. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I would, it would have been weird. It had been weird, but he would have been a much younger Batman. And the script would have been hella different because him and him and Christian Bill are about the same age. There's yeah. no way. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer in Silence of the Lambs. Oh, instead of uh, uh, Jodie Foster? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I feel like uh, what... I think what makes Jodie Foster so effective in Silence of the Lambs is that she's very vulnerable, and she plays vulnerable very well. I don't know if Michelle Pfeiffer could pull off the same performance. I can't think of a perform. The la well, I don't know. To be fair, Michelle Pfeiffer plays a pretty vulnerable performance in um, uh, is it House on a Lake? Was it the one with Harrison Ford? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think so. House on a Lake. Yeah, but um, not House on. A Lake. It has a different name, but I can't remember right now. But the point is, um, so I guess she could probably do a very good job, but I don't know. She just looked like just putting the two of them in my head, standing side by side. Because when that, let's see, when does Scarface comes out in the seventies, and no, Sons of Lambs is like out, it came 90, out of like early eighties. Yeah, well, no, Sons of Lambs is like didn't late eighties, early nineties. I'm pretty sure it's like early nineties, like ninety one, ninety two. Scarface. Oh no, not Scarface. I'm sorry, I'm talking about Sons of the Lambs. Scarface, early nineties. Yeah. 90s. Like, yeah. Sorry, I'm just trying to. I just, Michelle Pfeiffer just seems like her features are just so much more. Intense. I mean, she was Michelle Pfeiffer was in a movie in '88, uh, Married to the Mob. Yeah. You know, so that's interesting. So I mean, it's uh. Did she turn it down, or did she get, or was, or yeah, she turned it down. She said, "I think she, she probably she got, made, cold, she got cold feet." She got cold feet. Mm -hmm. No, I, I think that's a good, a good call. I don't know, Joey Foster. Was, she said was, that there is such an evil in that film, and it was that evil that won in the end. So she was kind of like. She was kind of like, nah. It, it, she had a strange feeling from reading the script and bailed on it. Which, man, I, you know, it, it's it's like that. Some people from different backgrounds like read something and be like, yeah, I want to do this. Some people are like, nah, that ain't me, man. Don't do it. And then it's like, okay, all right. Yeah, man. I just, uh, I mean, I like Michelle Pfeiffer a lot, and uh, but I just don't think, I think Jodie Foster just like, as far as like, you know, a young FBI recruit, it's her first time. Like, she's got some demons in her past. Like, she just plays that role so well. And I'm just trying to think, I'm trying to think through, like, there, Michelle Fiverr comes close to that, showing that vulnerability, as I mentioned in that one movie. With, uh, but at the same time, I don't know that that movie is, a, I mean, don't get me wrong, a large part of the success of that movie is on the shoulders of Anthony Hopkins. But at the same yes. time, the most, the best parts of that movie, though, are those moments between, between, uh, you know, Starling and Lecter and I'm just thinking through in my head like if the if the back and forth between Hopkins and and Pfeiffer would have been as good as Hopkins and Foster and I just don't I I think I think Foster does would in my mind does a better job okay fair enough but I mean I, I mean I can't I, obviously I haven't even really to compare it to because we never saw what that would look like but I just think I, I I'm thinking in my head based on what I've seen of Michelle Pfeiffer in. I think Foster has a better job. Um, I mean Michelle. I mean Jodie Foster's roles are. She's been doing Hollywood a lot longer than she has, and uh, you know, and her chops, her acting chops are a bit deeper. So I mean, I, I'm not knocking that. 
Yeah, not um, everybody can play. Not everybody can play Nell. <laughs> All right, so um, three left here. So you got Halle Berry in Speed. Oh, instead, instead of, of Bullock. Uh, Sandra Bullock. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. I think I read another reason why I think that one. Did, uh, did she turn it down or or was she uh, like she turned it down? She she said I was offered it before, but I stupidly turned. I said no. But in my defense, when I read the script. The bus didn't leave the parking lot. So when she read it, she was like, hey, I'm not feeling it. Because she was, she said it during an interview for John Wick 3, which John Wick 4 comes out this month. Um, and she she admitted that she could have worked with Keanu Reeves, Keanu Reeves decades earlier. So I guess for me, again, I'm trying to think in my, my head, there's a role that Halle Berry has played similar to what we saw in Sandra Bullock's performance in Speed. I There's think lots of the... them, just they're not good movies. Yeah, I mean, you got the 911 movie where she's trying to find her child and she's a 911 operator. Yeah. I think she was literally driving a bus, literally, in that one. Um, <laughs> and just, <laughs> she has lots of roles. Um, she has lots of roles where she's done lots of things that Sandra Bullock does. Just Sandra Bullock don't do those things anymore because Sean Bullock's like, these are bad movies. I'm not making bad movies anymore. Well, I just think, like, Sandra Bullock always, to me, comes off as, like, an everyday girl, right? Like, you know, she's kind of like the 1990 version of, like, you know... Um... What's her face? I was in the Meg Hunger Ryan. Games. No, and oh, what's the girl uh, in the Hunger Games? Uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence, right? She was just kind of that everyday girl, like that everyone can relate to and wants to hang out with. And I think the reason why she's good in in Speed is you can see her as like this this everyday kind of like average day like bus you know goer that gets put in this really extraneous situation. Halle Berry never to me has never seemed like the everyday girl, like. Um, like when I think of Halle Berry, I think of her in, for example, like um, what's the one she did with Hugh Jackman, where they're where he um, and, and John Travolta um, uh, where he's a hacker and she's like uh, she's an undercover like DEA agent, I think, or something like that, working um for uh, John Travolta's character, who's like the like a terrorist. Oh man, I can't remember mm, the other movie. Was it Broken Arrow? No, not Broken Arrow. But... Was that Broken Arrow? No, uh, uh, swordfish. Yes, swordfish. Like I think of her in that. Another uh, place where I think of Halle Berry, I think of her in. Um, uh, why am I? She was a James Bond. She was a James Bond girl. Right, she was a James Bond girl. So she, she just, she, she just for me, she carries a lot of like gravitas. Like she always seems like someone that's like always in uh, her roles. She always seems to be in a great deal of control. So I think we're like in in speed. Like, you have to play a person who's, like, just, like, a, a complete fish out of water in this situation and exercises no control in the in the situation whatsoever. And she just doesn't seem like that type. But, again, I could be wrong there. What is it Moneyball that she got the Academy Award for? What's the one that she got the Academy Award for? I can't remember. Uh, Not Moneyball. Money oh, you're talking, about Mon- you're talking about Monsters, Mon- Monsters Ball. Monsters Ball, yeah. Moneyball is a baseball movie. It's a baseball movie. <laughs> At least I, said, I was like, I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> I was like, wait, wait, wait. But I mean, wasn't was she Brad, like a that rape was Brad Pitt? Vi- wasn't she like a rape victim in that movie or something? Monsters Ball. No, no, in Monsters Ball. Uh, her husband, played by Sean Combs, is in jail, and she's raising a child by herself. And her and Billy Bob do the nasty in the most graphic scene oh, ever okay. seen. Two Hollywood people have. <laughs> she she deserved that award for doing that. <laughs> deserved the award for doing that. That was that was uncomfortable. That was an uncomfortable scene right there. Uh two left. Bruce Willis and Ghosts. Uh Bruce Willis, 
turn down the role of uh that um what's that dude's Patrick name? Patrick Swayze. Oh, Patrick Swayze. Swayze um had because at a time Bruce and Demi were together. So Hollywood said, why not both of you do a, a film together? And Bruce Willis turned it down because he said he didn't get the role. He said, I'm dead. And I'm supposed to still be like touching her. <laughs> that sounds about right. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. Like I, when I think of that moment, a particular moment in time, it would it would have been hard for me to separate like um, the John McClane. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and like John I just McClane like John cannot... McClane doing pottery with Demi Moore in Ghost. There's like, no this... way, There's no way, it wouldn't work. It'd be a joke. It would, right? It'd be an absolute joke because, like, you just keep Kai, hey motherfucker, doing yeah, this yeah. like clay pottery. It isn't working. Now, Patrick fair, Swayze never... had all the ladies swooning. I've never completely seen that movie through and through. I've seen bits and pieces of it, but. Um, I just, I can't, it's hard for me to envision, um, you know, Hudson Hawk, you know, seducing Demi Moore in, uh, in Ghost. (laughs) I, I I haven't, probably haven't seen that movie since, uh, Bush Sr. was in office. So I, I cannot tell you the names of the characters or the scenes. I, there's some scenes I remember when, I think I can remember when he faded away, they're outside and he was like fading away finally. You know, I don't know. But uh, it's definitely interesting. Um, the last but not least, um, one of my favorite top films of all time, Eddie Murphy turned on a role in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. As a, as a Bill Hopkins ter- uh, detective? Yes, sir. Yep. I think that makes sense Turn as well. Yeah. I, that, I mean, I like Eddie Murphy a lot. He's brilliant in just about everything he does. But to me, you know, a down-on-your-luck, private eye, you know, Bob Hopkins – he just everything about him just screams that character, and I is, I, I I don't really see again. Eddie Murphy just he emits this like smoothness, and this like bravado that just shows like I'm in control of every situation. And what I like about Bob Hopkins in that movie is that like, he's just you know he's he's very he's clearly a very good private eye, but he's got like he just carries a lot of a ton of emotional baggage. And, it's, and everything about him and his physique and the way he carries himself, like, he just crushes it. And Eddie Murphy just doesn't, like, especially, like, that's like, that movie comes out, like, what, late eight? That's, like, 89, 90, I think. That's around that yep. time frame. Yep, 89. Yeah, so, I'm like, again, Eddie Murphy's still young, and he's, like, he just, like, he's just too cool for that role. That's why I think that, you know, Bob Hopkins, too, and the way he plays that character is almost like a cartoon as well. So that's why I think the 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 playoff between Bob Hopkins and the Rabbit works, and Murphy's just too cool, man, for that. I think for that that same chemistry on screen. He understand now. If he would have probably took that role, they would have had to rewrite it because they wouldn't have played it one for one. Because Bob Hopkins with him playing, am I saying his name right? Um. Yeah, with Bob Hoskins playing that role, they made it more of a noir. He had a noir feel to it. You know what I mean? They played the horns, and you feel like you're going back to 1940s. I think with him, they would have made it, they would have given him a little more of a modern kick. There's no way you would give him a noir feel. That's Eddie Murphy couldn't pull that off. That's my point. Especially like the whole, back then. Because the at the right time, he was just doing Beverly Hills, he was doing Beverly Hills Cop 2. Yeah, well, that's my, that's my point. Like, what like, makes what, what, what makes that yeah. movie so fun is it takes place in like 
1950s Hollywood, right? Where like where animate like animation was like in its golden era, and that's what makes that film so great. Whereas if you have to modernize it, I think it suffers. So like I, I, that's why another reason why if you have to rewrite if you have to rewrite every like the background of that film to fit Murphy, then you've already failed. I think. Yeah, and then um, Eddie Murphy was such a hot commodity back then. These are other roles he turned down because he turned now, down more. Hold than on, this real one. quick. Hold on. Uh, he turned well, well, down. Those, on, he turned. What? Go ahead. Well, one thing I will say though is now Eddie Murphy in Cool World, as opposed to like Brad Pitt, that would work because like that's like hit like that coolness. Yeah, that'd have been cool of that world. Like works for Mer- for Eddie, you know. So I, I would like if you put him in that. That I I can totally see that making sense. Anyways, go ahead. You were saying. Cool World's a deep cut, and so now everybody might not even know that one because Brad Pitt was the human in the animated world, and his girl looked like Betty with like the little dot eyes, and mm-hmm. yeah, he would he could have pulled that off. Cool World is definitely uh, the dark Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Who Framed Roger Rabbit was a dark movie anyway, a darkish movie, uh, but that movie was dark, dark because yeah, it was it, it, like, hard, like, uh, hard who, sexual overtones. Who, who Framed Roger Rabbit is for like, you know, fourteen and fifteen year olds. Like Cool yes. World is for like. 24 or 25 year old <laughs> in college or uh you know yeah that's, yeah, a, that's like a college he, dorm room movie yeah. yes it is because you're like yo did they just do that yeah they just did that <laughs> um the heels turned out ghostbusters he said oh, it yeah, sounded like see a, that. he said he sounded like he said it sounded like a crock well the thing is they it's, actually wrote like so so they wrote that role for him and that actually there was more in the film for eddie to do the problem is the studio, because, I mean, it's the 1980s, like, wrote, like, cut a ton of that role because it was a, a black guy. They cut a ton of that role. In fact, even today, like, um, it get it really gets under, um, what's his name? The guy that played Winston, that ultimately played Winston. Um, um, well, Ernie Hudson. Ernie Hudson. Like, it really bothers Eddie Ernie Hudson that he's barely in any of the promotional material. Like if you look at like the movie poster for that, it's just the three white guys. Ernie is nowhere to be found. Same thing with like the box art and everything else. Like I think, um, cause, um, when that movie was originally written by Ac- uh, Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis, they had a huge role for Eddie. Like he like, and he like basically shows up like in the first five minutes of the film and is with the team the entire time. But then when the studio got involved, because it's a black man, they cut it. They cut a ton of that role. So I think, I think that's when Murphy's like, nope, I'm not interested. There's nothing for me to do here. And then uh, um, Ernie Hudson ultimately comes in and plays it. I'm actually kind of sad by that. Um, he rejected Rush Hour in favor of the movie Holy Man. I think that was a mistake. Uh, mistake? That shit. <laughs> Holy Man is awful. <laughs> Holy Man is bad, bad, bad. Eddie Murphy had a streak of bad movies, and there's another one. Yep. And then that was, it, I'm sorry. You know what I mean? I'm not an actor, and trust me, he's made more money I've ever made in my lifetime. But Eddie, bad move. And he also wisely turned down Drive Miss Daisy. Uh, Again, I think. You would have, I think what makes that work, that movie work is that like Morgan Freeman is like, even though he's young, obviously younger in that film, he still looks like an old, like an old 
like an old black man. I don't know if you can age Eddie Murphy to make him look like an old black man. So I don't like he just seems too he's too young and plucky. I can't see him having the patience to drive around a racist white woman. So I guess that I think that makes a lot of sense, actually. Not without him having a mobile where he just spazzes off on her. That's what I'm saying. Like, like, well, it makes Freeman, like Freeman plays that role of, as a man who's been through some shit and has the wisdom to, like, he knows how to, like, handle white people in that movie, right? Whereas Eddie Murphy, yeah. just hit, hit the usefulness of him, I don't think imbues him with the patience to handle that situation. So I think that the Freeman role is, Freeman kill, crushes that role because he just plays it that way. That's fun. That's fun. That's fun. We gotta, you know what? I'm gonna pull, we're gonna do this again. I'm gonna pull these roles and we're gonna start just discuss roles that people could have did and where at. Cause there's, there's so many articles and there's so many of them. So I was like, we're gonna do this again. This is, that was fun. That was fun. So I wanna close out on one, one more. On, I wanna close out really quick on one really interesting article, weird or strange article um, in NPR. And, uh, as it connects to The Last of Us, uh, I know what we've been, we both of us have been following The Last of Us for the last few weeks now. And again, each episode continues to be a work of art. Um, but there was a really interesting article in NPR uh, about how The Last of Us has made us wonder could a deadly fungus really cause a pandemic? And I don't know if you saw recently. Uh, so NBC News reported like three weeks ago about this new thing called valley fever. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's basically no. a fungus that's in the dust out there in the Midwest. And due to like higher, like heightened uh, temperatures related to climate change, this fungus is like, it's, it's uh proliferating. And when you drive through there, because of like, like what happens basically is like, as you're driving in that area, it disturbs that dust and that fungus gets up in your lungs. It can cause like, headaches and respiratory issues and all kinds of stuff. So like you see that and then you see what's going on in the last of us, which is basically a fungus that evolves due to like heightened temperatures due to climate change. And it becomes way too real. Like, so it's amazing how art imitates life in a really strange way, especially since we know that like there are funguses out there that control insects and ants and stuff like that, you know, like it controls them to go to a very, like there's a fungus that it takes over an ant's body, not just its mind, but its entire body and is able to manipulate it to go to a very precise point on a leaf and then an anchor to that leaf so that the, it can sprout basically so it can sprout and then release its spores. So like this is way more real in a way that I think anything we've ever seen before, like, you know, Walking Dead or, you know, Day at Night of the Living Dead or any of that stuff where, you know, it, it's really always kind of nebulous and how the the pathogen gets out and how it causes the undead or, like, even even um, I Am Legend has a really weird, like, origin where they're trying to create the cure for cancer and in doing so it turns everybody into, like, zombie vampires. Like, Last of Us is, like, a very real thing because it's found in, it's naturally found in nature right now. So I thought that was interesting how like it's this movie is making people think about how climate change is going to kind of potentially affect like how the natural world can impact us going forward. Yeah, that's um that's really interesting. You know, I hope it doesn't like that. Hopefully people learn from their mistakes and um you know, I was made a comment about how people 
um, this past week about people still wear masks. People like they're they feel confident. Like some people wear masks, especially younger, younger generation. They wear masks because they first of all been wearing masks for the last two years and they've like grown accustomed to it now. They feel safe wearing it. Uh, women wear masks to cover up their faces so people creepers don't see their face. People that they don't want to see. Like there's a lot of different reasons people wear masks now. Be aware of them now just to protect themselves from people. And it's it's just interesting how the world changed like that. Well, it, it, it actually, if you think about it, it's, it's just, it's kind of just good practice. I mean, especially in a time, like in the winter time when flu season isn't, is ramping up. I mean, if you really want to like, you know, take a mitigate, make them take a step toward preventing you from getting sick. I mean, is it foolproof? Probably not. Or we know it's not, but at the same time, if it's a measure that helps reduce the number of folks that get sick, I mean, then it's worth a shot. It's yeah. worth a shot. Like, I mean, you can't, it's kind of hard to argue against it. You know, the, the idea of mask wearing like, and even like what's interesting, you mentioned mask wearing, there's another, so NPR has a whole page on strange news. And then the top story is actually, it's interesting. It's, it's the headline is people who think they're attractive are less likely to wear masks. A study shows, um, <laughs> and uh, I, don't, I don't deep dive into the article, but I love this idea that you're so vain in your appearance that regardless of the health benefits, you would be unwilling to wear a mask. Like, like I'm too, I'm so sexy. I'm not going to wear a mask, but so you'd rather get sick than like hide your looks. That's interesting to me. Yeah. I think there is a world of science with that though. Cause some people are like that. And then you have other people that I feel, they feel that their, their freedoms are encroached by telling them to put a mask on. So it's, <laughs> We live in a strange world where that's just, it's the way it is. Yeah. Uh, side note, last episode, last of us, whatever. It was very mid. I know it was, I know it was one for one for the DLC on the game, but it was definitely, uh, Oh, I've, I've never, I episode. haven't played the DLC yet. I mean, so it was all new to me. So, I mean, I, I, I'm aware of the story, but I didn't play that particular part of the game. So, um, I thought it was, I mean, I, I agree. I think, I mean, it's still the performances are all still good and like the drama is still really good. But yeah, I think, um, I think it really did kind of take away a bit from the main story. Like I get like watching the at, like the, you know, at the end they do like a behind the scenes or like a commentary on it. They were saying like, that was like, they put the inject yeah. that in episode there to kind of show why she stays around with Joel I don't, to me, it, it just seemed out of place. Like, I don't think it was, I think it was wholly unnecessary to kind of inject that there. I would have much rather have liked to seen, like, if you're going to have an episode, I would have liked to see her struggle to get Joel to the house. Like, pick up right from where yeah. they left off. Because that's something they don't show you in the game. Like, when he take in the, in the game, like, when he gets impaled, it goes from that moment right to where she's in the wilderness going out to try to find, like, find, you know, medicine and she's hunting for like deer so there's a whole like you don't know how she gets she gets him to the house and like i thought that would have been that would have been kind of because so much of this which makes this show great is it fills in a lot of the gaps so i think that would have been a cool episode to like show her struggling to get him to this house trying to evade the bandits and trying to maybe even evade infected along the way too like getting him to that house i would have liked to have seen that but yeah, I'd like to see that, and they get to put this episode, where the DLC episode, by the beginning of season two. So that would be like, all right, so at least we know 
rather we can know how Ellie actually got the infection. You know what I mean? Like, all right, thank you for letting us know, and now let's continue on season two. Yeah. So like, it's not it doesn't affect pacing. Like, yeah. I think this episode affects pacing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, all right, we're just doing all this, and then it's then they finally get back to it. The final like ten minutes, they finally jump back to it, and it's like, but how the hell did she get this grown ass man off the damn snowy ground? into this house like how close is this house how do they get there like what's going on this dude's on his deathbed like how's he impossible yeah he, like he couldn't even move so it's um i don't know yeah so i think that that would, i think that would have been a much better episode i mean i don't like i, said, I didn't hate it it's just that i think it was just like i said it's out of place i think i think it should have been if i would have i don't know i'm not even sure where i would have put it between because between now and what will eventually be the last few episodes is all going to be about them getting to the Fireflies medical compound in, well, in the game, it's in Salt Lake City. Um, so, like, it's all about that 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 journey. Um, so, it's, uh, so right now, I'm, I'm really looking forward to tonight's episode because this is the episode where we come face-to-face with that, that group of dudes, uh, spoilers, that want to try to, like, well, at least the leader wants to have, like, make her his own private, like, not sex slave. That's strong, but he basically you have a thirty year old man who wants to have a relationship with a fifteen year old girl. Um, yeah, and then uh, after that, we're going to be into the Salt Lake City portion of the game where they're on their way to the medical facility, and that's the culmin- That's like the culmination of the game. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But um, yeah, I agree with you. It was it was it was mid and probably out of place, and maybe it better served in the second beginning of the second season. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but all right, cool, cool, man. Well, I think we so we've gone a full hour and fifteen. Um, I hope you get again. I hope you enjoyed taking this journey with us. You know, we didn't really have a ton of a uh, ton on the agenda today, so it's always fun to see where the conversation takes us. I enjoyed doing that piece on the folks, on the actors who turned down or you know didn't get roles. That that was a fun little conversation. But um, yeah, I enjoyed it. It's fun. Anyway, we'll be here next week. Uh, we'll see if we can find some new new and engaging topics to talk about. And then again, if you have anything you think if you have anything on your mind, please comment and subscribe. But with that being said, I'm Mr. Fig. And I'm Mr. Locke. Everybody have a great week. Mm-hmm.